This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Paganampike Pagan. Joining me today is best selling author and poet Kwame Alexander. He's got a new YA novel out called Solo, which he co wrote with Mary Rand Hess, that tells the story of young Blade Morrison, who sets out to find himself and his own way in life and love. The novel is also written entirely in verse. Hello, my name is Kwame Alexander, and I'm the author of the new YA novel in verse, Solo. Kwame, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Let me kick things off by saying that I had no idea how to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> no, in that, in that, when I looked at verse, I think my brain automatically goes into a rhythm, and then I'm not sure if it's the right rhythm. Ah, that's interesting. I guess the, the question I would have for you is, obviously you read it, so at a certain point, did you become a little bit less, confused in, how, in terms of how to read it, or did that persist throughout the whole book? Okay, so here's the thing. I cheated a little. I bought the audiobook on Audible. I listened to that for a little while, and that really helped, and then I continued reading your book. Well, that's cool. I'm not mad at that. Here's the beauty of writing a novel in verse. I mean, there, there's, a, there's sort of a challenge in that most people don't expect to, to pick up a novel and to see these chapters that are you know, 10 lines long or three verse or they're, or they're a haiku. And so, you know, it's sort of cognitive dissonance in the beginning. You're like, whoa, I'm not, I can't do that. I can't read this. <laughs> but I think what, what happens is once you read it and you sort of see that there, these, these chapters, these poems are linked. They are telling a story. It's still language. It's concise. It's sparse language. But it's language nonetheless that has rhythm and figurative language. And I think after you get past page five or maybe page 10, I think you forget that you're reading poems and you realize you're just telling a story or you're just reading a story, or at least that's my hope. After that initial hump and I got past it and then everything just kind of started to flow. And what was interesting about that for me was because it was in verse, because it was in such terse language, you forced me to fill in a lot of those blanks, which is something you don't necessarily get with novels. And isn't that the rub? Like, (laughs) one of the coolest things about poetry is that it's the white space, man. It's like the white space is there so that the reader can take that journey, that spiritual journey that's there, that's between the lines. You know, it's about the things that that are said, but poetry, man, when it's done right, it's so much about the stuff that's not on the page, that's in between the lines. And I just find that really exciting. And I think, you know, for young readers and for adults, I think it's just, I think it's just a great way to spend, you know, an afternoon reading, you know, reading a poem. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually play a little bit, a short excerpt from the audiobook so people can get an idea of what it sounds like. But before oh, I do no. that, oh, no. no, we got it, we got it. And before I do that, though, um, we've jumped ahead of ourselves. Uh, we haven't told people what the book's about. So in a nutshell, if you could do an elevator pitch of what Solo is all about. It's about a 17-year-old um, high school senior who's about to graduate from high school and, and go off into the world. And, and he's having family issues um, at home with his father. He's dealing with some, you know, with the loss of his mother, his girlfriend, who he thinks is sort of, 
you know, the one person in this world who can, you know, be there for him. She betrays him. And it's about how his world just comes crashing down right when he's about to sort of go off and and become an adult and become a young man. And it's about how he decides to put that those pieces to that life puzzle back together again. And the music helps him do that. And uh, and and a trip overseas to uh, to to the country of Ghana, uh, where he's trying to to sort of find uh, his identity, to find himself. That helps him put those pieces back together. So it's really a coming of age story about a young man who's trying to uh, to find his place in the world when everything seems to come unraveling. So Kwame, you wrote the book with Marianne Hess and. Every time I see dual authorship on a novel, I'm always perplexed at how that happens because writing is such a solitary craft. And it's also, you know, the, the writer has so much, uh, is so possessive over his words or her words. How does, it, how does it work with poetry? How do you collaborate with poetry? Well, I really can't tell you all my trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but all I can say is, you know, I believe, yeah, writing is solitary, but I also think it's collaborative. Um, I love writing with my writing friends. We go to the coffee house together. We write together. Um, I love uh, collaborating on stage with other writers, doing panels and, and having conversations. I'm a big fan of collaboration. And so uh, Mary Rand Hess and I, we've been in a writing group together for three years. And we simply just sat down, you know, over the course of about a year and uh and 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 plotted out and outlined the story and and I wrote a poem here, and she wrote a poem there and and we, and I wrote a poem that that needed a metaphor, and she came up with the metaphor and and sometimes we alternated lines, and sometimes she wrote five pages, and I wrote twenty and it really just was a collaborative process and it 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 was unconventional and and to be very honest, I don't know if there's a formula for how we did what we did, but it worked. And thank God it did. It feels from what you're telling me that the process was very similar to writing a pop song. That's a great idea, collaborating on a song. I think, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. That's what it was. As promised here now is a little taste of what Kwame's verse sounds like. There's this dream I've been having about my mother that scares the holy night out of me. And each time I wake from it, I'm afraid to open my eyes and face the world that awaits, the fractured world that used to make sense, but now seems disjointed. Islands of possibility that float by like a thousand puzzle pieces that just don't fit together anymore. So I think of chapel and grab hold of the only other thing that matters, my guitar. Strings. Mom used to play this game on the tour bus to help us go to sleep. Who's the best? We'd go through every instrument, piano, drums, horns. Our favorite was guitar. My sister Storm always said Eddie Van Halen was her favorite, probably because he once made her pancakes at 4 a.m. in a Marriott kitchen. Ask Rutherford, and he'd say, I'm the best in the world. I'm out of this world. Electric soul brother, interstellar man. Which is ironic because he was trying to quote Lenny Kravitz, who mom would say was in her top three, along with Jimi Hendrix and me, just to piss him off. Chapel is the great song in my life the sweet arpeggio in my solo. Her lines bring color and verve to my otherwise crazy life. Without her, I'd be a one-man band with a played-out sound and no audience. The magic we compose is endless 
immortal. We could play together for centuries, if I'm lucky. And I love the music our bodies make when we're dancing. But there is one thing about my girlfriend I don't understand. She says she doesn't believe in sex before marriage, but she never wants to get married. When I ask her, where is all this going then? She likes to get real close, eyelash close, and say things like, let's live in the moment, babe, or we don't need labels. And then she kisses me like we own the world and nothing else matters. It's funny how going nowhere feels like it's going someplace fast. Music is a huge part of this book. And <laughs> and let me tell you, I, I think of myself as someone who knows music, and I kept trying to figure out all of your references because they're so mixed. We've got we've got rock and roll references, we've got heavy metal references, we've got soft rock references. It's it's everywhere. Yeah, so solo was a tribute to rock and roll music um, of the 1980s, the music that defined, you know, our high school lives, Mary's life. Uh, my life, and, and and so we wanted to really pay homage to to all the songs we listened to in high school, and the Prince, and the Guns and Roses, and and the Police, and 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 Tina Turner, and all this music that made us feel good, you know, when we listened to it when we were growing up, and and then it sort of evolved into you know other aspects of rock music, whether it be heavy metal or soft rock or or soul rock or blues. And, and, you know, I think the tagline in the novel is, you know, when the heart gets lost, let the music find you. And so we tried to really write to that idea. Music is in many ways this, I guess, great uniter and great equalizer. You know, all the way out here in Malaysia, we grew up with those exact same references you were talking about. Guns N' Roses and Metallica and The Police and Tina Turner. And, you know, this was long before Spotify or any way for those songs to actually get to us. And yet they did. Because music has a way, you know, of connecting us, of making us, you know, understand, you know, sort of the human condition in a really profound way because it, it hits us in the heart, man. It makes you feel something. And when you feel a certain way, man, that's like the heaviest sort of, you know, human way of, inner, of, 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 of being. And, and so I think that's what music does. And, and in a way, that's what poetry does, too, man. It, it allows us to become more human, man, and, and transcend all those kind of boundaries, you know, whether they be geographic, you know, religious, um, ethnic, gender, or whatever. And, and the thing I love most about Solo is that I got a completely different experience from the audiobook as well because it had music in it. We had original songs that my buddy Randy, my buddy Randy Preston performed. We went into the studio in Nashville, Tennessee, recorded with some producers. And man, I just felt like it would add something special to the, to the audio book. I mean, you're listening to it, so why not hear these songs? You know, and I can't sing, so I said, well, we got to have Randy sing. Um, and, and it worked out really well, I think. I think a lot of us still think of books as this single-use, single-experience thing, right? But of course... In today's world, we're, we've got all these multimedia elements and so on and so forth. And yet what you did was a very basic extrapolation of that. This idea that, hey, I've got a book that has this musicality towards it. And so I'm going to make some original songs that go along with it. Yeah, it made sense. We're writing a book about a musician who writes music. And so maybe we need to have some of the musician's songs in the book. It just seems like it, it, it makes sense. And then 
when, when we got down to the audio book, well, let's bring the words off the page and put them on the stage. You know, let's really bring this book alive. And so we tried to do that with the, with the audio book. So, you know, it really became this sort of multimedia approach to, to books and trying to make them fun and cool and engaging for, for young people. Which brings me to the obvious question, I guess, about writing in verse. I guess poetry, to a certain extent, does have a performative element to it, does have that read out loud element to it. Yeah, poetry is, you know, is, is best when it's written. And, and, and I think, and it can, it can also, you know, it, it needs to stand up on the page and it needs to stand up on the stage. I find that, you know, I, my career began, you know, writing poetry and performing it at open mics and poetry slams, you know, and, and I remember going to events where I'd have a book to sell and nobody would know who I am. But if they heard a poem, if they heard me deliver the poem, perform the poem, recite the poem, they were like, oh, well, I like that. I get it. And I think poetry, you know, it began as, as, as something that was very oral and, folk, and people needed to hear it, whether it be in villages or communities. You know, this idea of spoken word or storytelling is very oral. And so I want to make sure that, you know, the poetry in my books, you know, that you're able to really, you know, read it and enjoy it and be engaged by it. But that really, when you're reading it, you're hearing it. You know, the sound of it is important. The rhythms of it, the repetition, all that kind of stuff goes into making it something that uh, hopefully, you know, you as the reader is going to enjoy and be moved by in some capacity. I think that was one of the most unique experiences of reading solo because here I was sitting on my couch and actually reading it out aloud. And I don't think, I can't remember the last time I did that with a piece of fiction. Well, I guess I'm a genius, man. <laughs> I guess you are. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, when I'm, when I'm writing, you know, the, my book, I find myself reading out loud. You know, I think that's so, so that's good to hear you saying as a reader, you did the same thing when you were uh, reading it, because that's what I'm doing when I'm writing it, trying to see how it, how it sounds, how the, you know, how, how the rhythm of it works together, um, each, how each word dances on the page. That's important to me. When it comes to writing in, in verse versus writing in prose, do you have a particular preference? Is it a completely different process for you? Do you have to switch your brain into something else? It's completely different. I've done it both ways. I complete. I, I prefer writing in verse. Um, it's my comfort zone. Uh, generally, when I'm writing in verse, it's a lot harder than writing in prose because I end up writing the book two or three times. And before I start rewriting it, I have to write it three different ways. First, I have to actually write a story. I, I don't, I'm not concerned about making uh, each page poetic or each line. I'm not making sure, I'm not trying to follow these rules that go into making a poem good. And so I just need to tell a story with a beginning, middle, and end. And then once I do that, then I go back and try to make each page stand up, you know, poetically. I try to make sure there's rhythm and, and, and figurative language and it's, and it's original and it's concise. And so I've got to go back and do that. So those, you know, and then once I've got that done, then the process of actually rewriting it. So it's a lot of work, but it's so much fun. So Kwame, I've, I've been talking to you for about 15 minutes now, and I think I've saved the geeking out until this point. But the one thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is that your protagonist is named 
after the vampire hunter. Yes. Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. Where did that come from? What was the inspiration? Are you a huge fan of the comic book or the Wesley Snipes movie or both? I'm a huge fan of the Wesley Snipes movies, man. I wish yes. they had made more of those. <laughs> they need to bring him back. Yeah, those things were incredible. Um, so that that was certainly an impetus for, for naming him, after, uh, naming the main character Blade. But also, I want to say Mary, my co-author, came up with that name. And she really thought it had, it had more to, to do for her with sort of, you know, A, the kind of names that celebrities and musicians and famous people give their daughters and sons. They're usually like really odd and different names. You know, and so she wanted to do that. And then I think just thinking about this idea of, um, you know, the main character in Solo, you know, his heart gets cut. His heart is gets broken. And, and he's trying to figure out how to put his heart back together. And so this idea of Blade being a metaphor um, for, for what's happening to his life for what's happening to his heart. I think that was a big, big um, attraction for that name for Mary as well. So there are quite a few different reasons why that name got chosen. And it's elevated the vampire hunter, let me tell you that, to levels previously unheard. <laughs> right, right. Are you, are you, so you must, be a, you must be a comic book fan, huh? I'm a huge comic book fan. I, I love Blade. Gotcha. I, I, people constantly forget that that second movie was directed by Guillermo del Toro. Right, right. Who's the master? Tell, tell me this for me. Your book is, of course, sold as a YA novel. And I suppose that means people 13 and above or 14 and above. Can you tell me how, can you tell me how the kids have been responding to the book? Um, the kids have been loving it. They say that their favorite parts are the parts where he, you know, the second part of the book where he goes to, to Ghana to sort of find you know, answers to questions he that have been eluding him, that that have that that have that haven't been given to him. Um, and so they they've been enjoying that part. They enjoy the quickness of the read because it's poetry. They love the music. Um, and I think just you know, in general, just the idea of 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 the things that matter in life: love, you know, family, and and sort of home. And that home is you know, it sounds cliche, but home is truly where your heart is. Um, and, I, and I think young people have been able to relate to it. You mentioned the quickness of the read. I think that's something very interesting and a lot of people take for granted. You know, when they see a piece of fiction that's 400 pages, they assume it's dense and important. And often a quick read isn't given as much respect as the longer read. And yet, because it's poetry, because it's verse, there is so much that's contained within this terseness, within this quickness. You can read it, you know, three or four times and get new stuff each time. Correct. And, and, and th things are revealed to you. And, you know, you can do it all in one day, three or four times in one day. What other novel can you do that in, you know, and still have the rest of your day? So I love sort of that immediacy of, of verse, of poetry, that uh, will allow, you know, students, young people, to, to not be intimidated, you know, by, by, by lengthy passages. Um, and, that, and that perhaps poetry... In, in general and solo in particular can be a bridge to get kids excited about reading in a really profound way. Kwame, it's an absolutely brilliant book. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Hey, thank you so much and uh, I appreciate all the love in Malaysia. Y'all be good. 
Kwame wrote Solo with Mary Rand Hess. You can find it at all good bookstores. You will love it, and so will your kids. Let me know what you think when you've read it. You can tweet me. I'm on at Umar Pagan. This has been Bookmark on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.